Welcome to the Weekly Walk Podcast, where we bring you impactful sermons from our vibrant Seventh-day Adventist community in Onalaska, Washington. Join us as we explore faith, hope, and love through engaging sermons and inspiring stories. Whether you're a longtime member or just curious about our beliefs, tune in to find spiritual nourishment and a sense of community in our shared journey of faith. Test, test, test. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. You know, I like the way that this sanctuary is situated. We get the east sun and the west sun. And uh, whenever it's sunny here, especially in the Pacific Northwest, we usually notice, don't we? <laughs> this time of year. <laughs> praise God for that. And praise God for uh, the Sabbath, that he's embedded a blessing for us. And this being a high Sabbath with uh, celebrating uh, our communion. And uh, thank you to uh, those that have repaired the emblems. And thank you to Scott and Sharon for that beautiful song. Uh, that's a beautiful thing when husband and wife can use their talents and make beautiful music together, isn't it? Yes. I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads and as I humble myself here. Father in heaven, we thank you for your great love for us as demonstrated in Jesus' sacrifice for us. I pray that your presence will be with us here, each one. Um, I confess my shortcomings to you, Lord, and ask that you forgive me, fill me with your spirit, and pray that for the congregation as well, that we can draw closer to you as a result of our time spent together here and closer together in our relationship with one another as well. Thank you for your love. Thank you for hearing this prayer and your promise to send your spirit to teach and to guide. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I like the robust amen. Emmeline, Emmeline, Emmeline. I'll have to have her here every Sabbath to give us robust amens. Amen. <laughs> so let's take a look at our Bibles. The, the scripture focus here is Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. And we're reading verse 13 and 14. For you, brethren have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, what? Serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If we truly love our neighbor as ourselves, we'll look for ways to serve them, will we not? And this communion service is predicated on uh, in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we, uh, we do uh, ordinance of humility first, where we humble ourselves and serve one another by washing one another's feet. And that's very uh, important and symbolic of preparing our hearts and minds to receive the emblems that represent Christ's sacrifice for us, his broken body. Um, you know, the, I titled the sermon, To Serve One Another. Um, serving one another. And this demonstrates within our church, the family of God, that we are to serve one another in what? Love. A response to love. No matter what our positions, roles, or gifts. This applies to pastors, teachers, elders, deacons, 
married couples, fathers, mothers, children, and singles. In essence, everyone. All the members of the body of Christ. Amen? You know, in all probability, the Galatian letter was written by Paul to the churches that he and his fellow missionary, Barnabas, founded on their first missionary journey, particularly in Antioch, of Pisidian, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. That would be a reference to Acts 13. We won't go there, but uh, that's just where it documented his travels. He did extensive travels sharing the love of God with uh, everyone that he came in contact with and starting up churches in his travels. These believers were converted both out of Judaism and from Roman paganism. After Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch in Syria, they received word that unconverted Jews had tried to convince these new believers that they had to keep the law to be saved. And that's not the gospel that Paul was... Does, is the law important? Yes. Yeah, it's important. Does it save us? What saves us? Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And the law is important because it, it uh, points out, it's like a mirror, it points out transgression in our lives. And then we, hopefully if we have an understanding of the gospel, we know to, where to go to uh, get forgiveness for that, right? At this table. <laughs> and in the preparatory work of washing one another's feet is where we can have forgiveness of those sins. But these... Uh, uh, Orthodox Jews were trying to put undue restrictions and uh, requirements on these new believers. And uh, Paul had to make that, correct that. In, uh, <clears throat> on the other hand here, unrepentant pagans must have encouraged them to continue to live according to their pagan lifestyle. So you've got the... You've got the uh, Orthodox Jews telling them you need to keep the law and you got their 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 friends and families in the old pagan journey to say oh just keep going doing doing what you used to do right so these new believers were in a bit of a conundrum or a challenge and Paul was teaching them a new way in this in this particular uh, passage here in his letter to these churches Paul addresses all believers both converts out of Judaism and paganism exhorting them to serve one another in love. Serve one another in loving, in loving them. There are two Greek words used most frequently that relate to the concept of serving others. One is deleo. This word means to be a slave, to serve, or to submit. And the other Greek word is deakoneo. This word means to minister to someone. The word deacon is derived from this Greek concept. The term and concept Paul uses here in Galatians is one used most often in the New Testament to literally to be a slave to others. This is in contrast to the emphasis we experience in modern society. Survey the titles, for instance, of current magazines or books that focus on me, myself, my needs, my rights, my self-esteem, my interests. It's all about me and my, right? That's the worldly focus. This is our natural bent since, as Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 3.23, it tells us a simple phrase that we've all sinned 
and fallen short of the glory of God. That puts all of us in the same boat, a level playing field, so to speak. No one has any greater advantage. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But the good news of the gospel presents a message that sets us free from being slaves to sin. When we put our faith in Christ's death and resurrection, we have eternal life. What is that well-known verse? Probably the most well-known verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the gospel in a nutshell right there. What Jesus did for us, God made provision. None of us need to die. God isn't willing that any should perish. We did cover that in the, in the Sabbath school lesson, right? Um, we have eternal life if we accept Jesus and his sacrifice for us. Paul underscored the freedom that we now have. Turn with me to Galatians, or not, excuse me, Romans. Romans, back a couple of books. Romans chapter 8. And I want to look at uh, verses 1 and 2 there. Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. And this actually is almost a, a quote from John three seventeen about Jesus didn't come to this world to condemn it, right? What does Paul write here? What does Paul write here? Therefore, there is now what? No condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, one thing we have to make clear here, Paul elsewhere in Romans said, we're no longer under the law, we're under grace. Does that mean that Paul threw out the law? No. When he said we're no, under, no longer under the law, he says it right here. Uh, there is now no what? Condemnation. We're no longer condemned or we're no longer have this penalty that's over our head if we're connected to Jesus and availed ourselves of his forgiving power, right? So we're no longer under the law in that respect, the condemnation. The law is perfect. It's a revelation of God's character. It points out sin. It's so important. And uh, um, if you do a logical play-by-play, -play, many of our evangelical... Uh, brothers and sisters, in order to kind of explain away the importance of the fourth commandment, say the law was done away with at the cross. That doesn't make a lot of logical sense, because if the law was done away with, then what would you use to point out sin? What would be the basement of judgment? And if there's no sin, the law to point out sin, it almost you don't need a savior then, do you? <laughs> it really throws the whole plan of salvation out the window because God's, God's government is based on his law. He wrote it with his own finger, proclaimed it from Mount Sinai, made a special ark to protect it and put it in there. And he sat, his mercy seat, like the foundation of his government, the Shekinah glory, rested on top of that ark of the covenant. So his law is very important. It plays an important role. But, it does not save us. Jesus saves us. The reason we keep the law and align ourselves with it 
is because of our love for Jesus. It's a love response, and we know that he loves, and, we, and he wants us to live the abundant life. In John 10, 10, he said, I've come that you may have life, may have it more abundantly. And if we do, if we align our lives with the principles found in his word, which uh, includes the Ten Commandments, his moral law, then we'll experience that abundant life. Amen? So Paul's concern... Paul's concern in this letter to the Galatians is that we do not use this freedom in Christ, so we're no longer under the law, the condom, to indulge our sinful nature, which we still have even though we are new in Christ. Have you ever noticed that? When you got baptized, uh, your sins were washed away, you started a new life. Did you no longer tempted to sin? <laughs> We still have those temptations, and we still have struggles, but we know if we fall, we know where to go. Amen? Um, so, um, Paul wrote, we're, even though we're new in Christ, rather, Paul wrote, we are to serve one another in love, not according to the flesh. All of life is relational, whether we are believers or unbelievers. Unbelievers naturally serve each other according to the sinful nature, often involves selfishness. That's why in a later paragraph, Paul outlines these relational acts. Uh, turn with me, if your book, your, uh, um, let's go back to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, our scripture reading was uh, 13 and 14. I want to take a look at a few more verses here. Paul goes through quite a list that uh, lays out uh, fleshly desires and natures. Let's look at verses uh, 19 and 20. Now the works of the flesh are what? Evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's quite a list. We're going to probably all find a struggle that we have somewhere in that list. Or maybe multiple times, I don't know. But Paul, Paul in, in addressing the Galatians, made it clear that even Christians are tempted to use this freedom in Christ to indulge in the sinful nature, to take advantage of each other in a way that is focused on selfishness. There's still the temptation to do that. By contrast, Paul elaborated on what it means to serve one another in love when he made reference in the next two verses to the fruit of the Spirit. Beginning in verse 22, these qualities are the acts, the exact opposite of the acts of the sinful flesh. Let's take a look at those. Um, beginning in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is, what's the first one? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Absolutely, absolutely amazing list. Is that the kind of fruit you want hanging from your tree? If you're connected to Jesus, invite his Holy Spirit to come into your life. He will, he will, uh, um, you will exhibit those fruits in your life. The fruit of the Spirit here, if you notice, involves relationships with one another. There's a few words here. 
love one another, have patience with one another, show kindness toward one another, show gentleness toward one another, exercise self-control in all our relationships. That's a good model for us to follow. And whenever I'm doing, uh, you know, I've officiated a number of weddings in my uh, the course of my pastoring, and uh, I always do some premarital work, and I, I point them to here. I said, you know, you want to... Uh, you want to make sure that the person that you're connecting your life to is going to exhibit this fruit of the Spirit. And if they're exhibiting this fruit, do you think it's going to be a happy marriage? It sure, certainly will be. You're loving. You're, there's joy. There's peace. There's long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and so forth. And it's all about relationship. When you break it down, this life is most fulfilled when you have positive relationships. Isn't that right? Jesus, Jesus made it very clear when he asked, was asked what's the great commandment, right? And he said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Your vertical relationship important. Uh, you can be filled with that love, and then you can love others as yourself. So again, relationship, relationship to God, relationship to others, gives us true fulfillment, positive relationships. Jesus Christ is indeed our greatest example. When the apostles were in the upper room for the Passover meal, a short time before Jesus gave himself on the cross, he demonstrated, gave a vivid lesson to them of what it means to serve one another. Even then, these men were arguing among themselves who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In this context, what did Jesus do? He humbled himself. There was a basin, there was a towel, but no servant had been arranged for. And here's the king of the universe <laughs> taking the lowliest job of the servant, takes the towel, takes the basin, and gently washes all of his disciples' feet, one at a time, starting with Judas. What an amazing lesson that humbled the disciples their desire for supremacy, along with the Holy Spirit filling them at Pentecost, they were able to work together and turn the then-known world upside down with this gospel of love, right? Jesus then taught them the greatest lesson they would ever learn when he asked them a question. Do you? This is recorded in John 13. John 13, the washing of Jesus' feet. Do you understand what I have done for you? He answered their question by saying, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. When Paul wrote to the Philippians, he applied what Jesus did in the upper room to all of us. In fact, he generalized it to everything Christ did when he came to die for the sins of the world. Let's turn to that little book. It's just four chapters, but it's a great little book. Philippians. Turn to Philippians, and we're going to read from chapter 2. Chapter 2, and we'll read, we'll begin reading verses 3 and 4. He says, Do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit 
but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Boy, that's good counsel, isn't it? Uh, Paul then used Jesus Christ as our great example, and let's continue reading on into verse, verse 5. 5, and we'll finish at 8. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself, what? Nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that's what we're celebrating as part of our communion service today. We are to serve one another in love. Paul's main concern was that we serve one another in love rather than serving one another in carnal, fleshly ways. If we follow the old nature which we still have as Christians, our relationships with others can be very quickly become immoral, impure, or idolatrous. As we deteriorate, our relationships will reflect hatred, discord, jealousy, and fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, and factions. But by contrast, if we serve one another in love, we will meet one another's needs in unselfish ways. The results will be more love among us. People will be joyful and happy. There will be a sense of peace, tranquility, and unity. We will treat one another with patience and kindness. We'll do what is right in our relationships. We'll be faithful to one another according to the guidelines of the Scriptures. We will treat each other with gentleness and exercise self-control so that we don't use people for our own selfish ends. It's clear that we're all to serve one another in love no matter what our role and position in the body of Christ. And our basic motivation is what Christ did for us. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. He said, Live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a, uh, for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Once we understand this dynamic concept of serving one another in love, within the larger family of God, it's easy to see how this includes husbands and wives, fathers, mothers, parents and children. With very succinct directives, Paul outlined for the Colossians and Ephesians to come alive in all of our relations, all of our relationships. Um, turn with me to Colossians. We're going to look at that book here. Colossians. Chapter, uh, chapter 3, and we'll read 18, we'll read 18 to 21. Wives, submit to your own husband as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, Obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So here we have quite a list in 
outlining our interaction and relationship with one another. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything. And fathers, don't irritate your children or embitter them, or they'll become discouraged. What a list. If we're connected to Jesus, he empowers us to have positive uh, interpersonal relationships. I want to end here, and then we're going to break for our foot washing, with a personal story of serving. Um, I was teaching in Calgary, Alberta at the time, and it was in the middle of winter and quite cold. And I knew I needed to get my van in to get repaired, but I hadn't done that yet. And it wasn't running that well. It was kind of the situation that you wouldn't want to take it far out of town. And uh, I, had a, I had a first cousin. He was actually the oldest of the grandchildren on my mother's side. And uh, he had chosen a... a wrong type of lifestyle. He announced, uh, he announced to the family that he was uh, homosexual. This was years back before that. It's becoming more, more and more accepted and maybe a little too popular. But uh, as a result of his lifestyle that he chose, he contacted HIV and uh, complications with that is what ended up taking his life. And they, I was in Calgary, and that family was in Kelowna. We'd always go to Kelowna for family gatherings because I had my grandparents there and a number of uncle and aunts and cousins and so forth. And they planned a memorial service for Monty as he was changed his name from Doug, Douglas, to Monty as he transitioned to this new, new life that really didn't pan out or work out very well for him. And the rest of my family was out of the country. I was the closest one, which was a seven-hour drive, and my, my van was not roadworthy. And I had to go over the Rogers Pass, which is probably the highest point in Canada, <laughs> and uh, winter driving conditions and so forth. And my pastor came in, and he saw that I was kind of down and sad. He said, what's going on? I said, well, I said, my, my cousin has passed away, and I'd really like to get to the memorial service, but uh, my van's not roadworthy. He said, well, that's no problem. You make arrangements for a sub, and I'll take you over. I'll go with you and take you to, so you could be at your cousin's funeral. Now my auntie was like a second mom to me and I really wanted to be there to represent my family. So here, he took, it's like a seven hour, eight hour drive from Calgary. He took his little Honda and I put things together, he put things together and we were on the road within a matter of a couple of hours. And I got there in time for that memorial service and to be there for my my family, and uh, I have to say that created a bond between me and that pastor that we've held to this day of him serving me, taking that time to go with me and get me to this important family event, and uh, 
what a beautiful thing that is when we see the opportunity and come alongside people and serve them. Amen? Amen. With that being said, we're going to have the opportunity to serve one another. I think uh, provision has been made for the ladies to meet in the fellowship area and the men in the boardroom or the study room, study area. And uh, we're just going to ask the Lord's blessing on this component of our, of our service today. Father in heaven, thank you for your example of love and how to serve one another in love. I pray that your spirit will go with, it, with us, touch our hearts. May we use this time to prepare our hearts and our minds, the, the foot washing, the ordinance of humility, to uh, deal with the sin in our lives that can be washed away so that we can come here and recommit our lives to you through the taking of the emblems that have been prepared. Go with us now. Bless this part of our service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed Sabbath, everyone. We will have a short song service. We're going to have a short song service. So if everyone, if I may have everyone's attention, um, if we could remember the, um, the solemnity of the hour and um, try to be and stay in a frame of holiness while we are going through the communion service. We've had the foot washing, um, which represents that um, we um, would like to follow in the life of Christ. And now we are preparing to partake of the emblems and, and what this really means to us. Amen? Amen? So in an effort to bring our minds back, um, why don't we sing hymn number 312, Near the Cross. Number 312, Near the Cross.
you so much. It's refreshing to leave your sins behind in that basin, isn't it? Amen. Yes, I always find that an amazing preparatory time to uh, prepare our hearts and minds to receive the emblems that have been prepared for us. I'll ask the ladies to remove the... Brother Victor is going to share uh, regarding the emblem of the bread and then have a prayer for that emblem and then we'll hear from Brother Greg for the wine, juice, blood. The Bible reveals the sacred mystery concerning the symbol of the unleavened bread. And I would like to take us through a few verses and just share a very brief thought. The first time the doctrine concerning unleavened bread was brought up was in reference to the hasty coming out from Egypt as far as an institution is concerned. And Moses, before his death, pointed the Israelites back to remember that occasion. And I will read what he says found from uh, Deuteronomy 16 verse 3. Uh, Moses said, Thou shalt eat no leavened bread with it. That's speaking with the Passover sacrifice. Seven days shalt thou eat unleavened bread therewith, even the bread of affliction. And so here Moses connected something very key for the children of Israel to remember in their services, that unleavened bread was connected with the idea of affliction. The next time around, the prophet Isaiah had something very interesting to say. Speaking in prophecy, Isaiah said, And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and water of affliction, Yet shall not your teachers be removed into a corner, but your eyes shall see your teachers, and your ears shall hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way walk ye in it. So Moses in the law talks about this bread, unleavened bread, and likens it to the bread of affliction. And Isaiah picks up the refrain and says that even though God gives you the bread of affliction, yet you will sense his presence. You will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in this way. When Jesus came upon the scene of action, he took up that idea and first of all, gave warning to the disciples. He said in Matthew, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And at first they thought that he was speaking of physical things. And he had to correct them and said, I am not speaking about physical things. I'm speaking about spiritual things. And then Matthew records, then they understood that Jesus was speaking concerning the doctrine of the Pharisees. Now, what is that doctrine? Going on, we see that Jesus speaks about the idea of self-denial. And so the famous text, Jesus speaking in the book of John chapter 6, I am the bread of, of, the bread of life. If any man eats of this bread, he shall have life. What is that? What is that leaven and, or unleaven that uh, is symbolized? And when we partake of the symbol or the emblem of this unleavened bread, what does it mean? As, as I have shared those texts, 
first of all, the unleavened bread spoken of by Moses being the bread of affliction, picked up by Isaiah, uh, being again the bread of adversity or the or, or of affliction. We see here Christ is speaking about a voluntary self-denial. When we partake of the leavened bread, we are accepting the charge that comes with denying self. Many a time self wants to puff up and rise up like leaven, but Jesus says, no, that's not the bread you are to, to partake of. It's the unleavened bread of self-denial, the unleavened bread of putting away the desire for self to manifest itself so much. But what's the privilege of all this? In closing, Paul tells us in the book of Acts chapter 14 and verse 22 that only through affliction can we enter into the kingdom of heaven. So when we participate in the service of partaking of the emblem of unleavened bread, we're doing not only the work of confessing that affliction is part of the lot, if you will, of the Christian, but it's also the profession that if we receive it by faith through Christ, then we are as verily taking part of his attributes, of his characteristics, and his promise is life is promised and life is assured. So as we connect with these ideas regarding the affliction, the bread of adversity, the unleavened bread, I pray that it will remind us that we are called, as unpleasant as it might be, to walk the walk of affliction, but the promise is, as Christ was that bread of life, and he grants us to it when we partake of it, he promises that we are guaranteed of that life as well. Let us pray. Father in heaven, when we come together as family to participate in this sacred service, the bread is prepared without leaven. Why? Because it symbolizes the affliction, the affliction of coming out of this world. We may be made fun of, we may be misunderstood, we may be shunned, just as the Israelites were shunned from the Egyptians. And Moses says the truth that even though you give them the bread of affliction, that this experience is life to them. Isaiah repeats it, that we will have the assurance of your presence, we will actually hear the voice behind us saying, this is the way. And Jesus sums it up by saying, I am that bread. If you partake of this bread, you have life in you. And so for all of us who may be going through affliction, may we have the assurance of your presence with us. Take away the leaven of self, the leaven of the Pharisees and of the doctrines, uh, of, of the Sadducees, I'm sorry, and I ask that you will instead place in us that unleavened experience of humility, of self-denial, and of self-sacrifice. Thank you very much for this reminder. Bless this emblem to our spiritual uh, development and maturation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Brother Victor. And now... Uh, Brother Greg will share some thoughts on the on the wine.
So when we're looking at the emblems, um, they're obviously symbolic, and it should get us to thinking about what they are symbolic for. Mm -hmm. And so when you think of the bread and wine, obviously when we take real nutrients into our bodies, it becomes part of our bodies. It helps us to, to grow and to think and to move and to act. Mm -hmm. And so when we think of the wine, we know it's symbolic for the blood. Mm -hmm. But then we also need to realize that the blood is symbolic for Jesus. Mm -hmm. But not just Jesus as a person, but what does he represent? You know, it is his life, his character mm. that he came to show us. But it's not just his character, it's God's the Father. You know, John 17, um, he says, I've completed the work that you've sent me to do, mm -hmm. which was to manifest the name of God. Mm -hmm. Now, Jesus doesn't come to say, hey, God's name is this. No, name means the very character and nature of that individual. Yeah. And so when we are partaking of the wine, we really need to be saying, okay, this is the blood. This is the life of Jesus mm -hmm. that I'm taking into me, mm -hmm. not pouring it on the outside of me. Right. I'm ingesting it. Mm. I'm wanting that nutrition, that character mm. to be in me. I want to be like Christ. Mm -hmm. And so this is what we're looking for when we are symbolically or then physically eating the emblems here. Mm -hmm. We are saying, yes, this is who I want to become. Mm -hmm. This is the food. This is the nutrition. This is the character I want to be in. There's a, a quote here I want to read if I could separate my pages with my gloves here. Thank you. <laughs> it says, the word of God contains our life insurance policy. Mm. To eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of God means to study the Word and carry out the Word into the life in obedience to all its precepts. To those who thus partake of the Son of God becomes partners of the divine nature, mm. one in Christ. They breathe a holy atmosphere in which only the soul can truly live. They carry in their lives the assurance of the holy principles received from the Word. Their lives are worked by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they have an earnest of the immortality that will be theirs through the death and resurrection of Christ. So their earthly body decay, the principles of their faith sustain them, and they are partakers of the divine nature. Because Christ was raised from the dead, they grasp the pledge of the resurrection, and eternal life is their reward. Amen. Go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you do truly 
love us. Mm -hmm. And you want us to be like you, not because it's an insistence way, but it's the right way. Mm -hmm. We look at you through Christ and say, yeah, that's who I want to be. Mm -hmm. This is what I want to do. So, yes, we do want to drink your blood, your character, your nature, who you are, so it can be, become part of us. And mm. we too will be in union, we'll be in one with you. Mm -hmm. Just like you are in union, being one with the Father. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm reading a couple of verses here found in 1 Corinthians 11. And uh, verse 24 says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. Carrying on reading in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25, we'll read 25 and 26. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Amen. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for the opportunities to partake of the wonderful sacrifice that has been set before us, a sacrifice that required the denial of self. That's the cross. If any man will deny himself, let him, or if any man will follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And so I thank you for this real ex example, uh, example in the life of Jesus, who, who gave us a testament to do in memory of him until the day we can partake anew with him of this cup. And so we now ask that as we go from this place, your peace, your assurances, your promises, and your delight will be upon each and every child of yours who is here today. We thank you and bless you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on this journey through faith and community. As we conclude today's episode, we encourage you to carry the spirit of fellowship and compassion into your week ahead. Remember, in On Alaska and beyond, let's continue to spread love and understanding, reflecting the teachings of Christ in all that we do. If you ever find yourself in the neighborhood, feel free to stop in and say hi. We will gladly share a meal with you. Till next week.